Hey guys, Jason here with Spectrum Labs. I have a podcast episode. This one is with Dr. Marnie Coit. She is a professor of agriculture at the North Carolina State University, and she's also an attorney with the NC State Hemp Extension Program. They've done so much work to advance the hemp industry and the community in our state and probably surrounding states due to influence. So I was really looking forward to speaking with Dr. Coit. We talk about a bunch of really good points. Uh, I think this episode will be really relevant if you are one, a farmer, uh, if you're farming hemp, uh, or if you're thinking about getting into uh, hemp. Uh, also, if you're in North Carolina and really any part of the hemp community, I think this will be a really good conversation for you. But we talk about Dr. Coit's perspective on the CBD glut in the market right now, uh, how you should consider whether you should grow hemp this coming season. Uh, we talk about the hemp pilot program, the risks of it going away, what that could mean, and moving over to the USDA program and just all the insanity that could mean. And uh, I do throw out a kind of a crazy idea to her, so hopefully you can listen to that and tell me what you think, but um, that I think would address the, the trust issues that we have in the hemp community and specifically in North Carolina. Um, so anyway, could be a stupid idea, maybe not. So tell me what you think. Uh, but anyway, so really good conversation. Just have a listen. Uh, and then as an attorney, Dr. Coit, of course, uh, wanted me to express that one, she is expressing her opinions that are just her own and not that of her employer and secondly that she's not offering legal advice so uh, keep that in mind but regardless it's a great conversation so without further ado here is dr marnie coit dr marnie coit thank you so much for joining me on the hemp startup journey uh welcome thank you very much for having me i really appreciate this opportunity yeah, I've been looking forward to it. I think we've been trying to coordinate over the past few days, and I've been really excited. I've read uh, several of your articles. You know, I've, I've heard about you in the community, and so just super excited to be able to have you on. And I think we'll, we'll have a really good conversation for folks to listen to. I do, too. I'm looking forward to it. So um, we'll talk about a whole bunch of different things, but if you can, I always like to ask folks um, how they got into this industry. Can you give us a little bit of background and uh, how you got into hemp and the industry? Like what, uh, I guess, what, what, what events uh, caused you to get into this? That's actually a really good question. Um, so I started teaching at NC State about four years ago. And my first semester here, which was in the fall of 2016, I was teaching an agricultural law class and I had a student who would come up to me after class and ask different questions about hemp. It was a space that he was interested in getting into. And um, he was trying to get his business off the ground at that point. So I'd say he was maybe a little bit ahead of the curve here in North Carolina. And what I would say to him always, because at that point I didn't know that much about it is I can't necessarily give you a specific answer, but here's what I know based on other parts of agricultural law that I do know about. Um, and so I try to provide information that way. And he has since gone on um, to start Huntsboro Hemp Company with his family. So I'm very proud of the work that he's done, but I'm also very appreciative that he has um, sort of led me into this arena. Fantastic. Um, and so I was going to ask, sorry, so you, you before hemp, you decided to get into agriculture and, and laws. Uh, is there something that got you into that, like a specific reason or reasons? I would say in college, I had a few experiences that led me into farming and gardening um, and just growing food in general and sort of the benefits of, um, of being able to grow one's own food. Mm -hmm. And I was always interested in the policy aspects and the legal aspects of that. So I actually um, apprenticed on two relatively small farms in New England. Um, I worked with extension in, um, in Georgia when I was in college. So by the time I got to law school, I went to law school specifically because I wanted to learn more about agricultural law and food law. Um, as opposed to the other way around. I know some folks will end up in law school and then discover food. So I did it the opposite way. So I've been working in food and agriculture in different parts of the food system for more than 20 years now. Okay, great. And so it's been part of your a passion, just, just food in general. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a, a part of my personal professional life for a very long time now. But um, And in terms of getting into hemp, I would say, just to go back to your original question, um, it is one of the most interesting 
parts of agriculture in terms of the legal issues that I have seen in a really long time. You know, it's obviously a relatively new industry. It's growing really quickly in North Carolina and other parts of the country. Um, it's a very exciting time to be in hemp. Um, and I'll get into some of the cautions about getting a temp layer on, but I will say it's an industry that I, I love working in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's pretty admirable that you uh, enjoy those kinds of things. I mean, I can just look at a plant and it will just wither and die. Uh, I just don't have that ability to, to, to nurture plant life. <laughs> uh, it's like growing things. That's a, that's a whole other matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. So now, uh, so you work at NC State. And um, I, I forgot you, you mentioned it. How long have you been at NC? I've been there for four years. Four years. Okay. So what is the role? Uh, it, I know it's pretty complex, but what's the role of NC State with hemp in North Carolina? Because I know that you're really involved and you have been you know, since the inception of this. So how, for somebody that doesn't understand, how can you put that into context as far as the, the role of the, the university? So the way the um, 2014 Farm Bill was set up, it was set up in such a way that um, said that states could develop their pilot programs as long as um, there was a state law that allowed them to do so. But it also set it up in a way where it said that um, universities could work really closely with the departments of agriculture. And we have been doing that in North Carolina since day one. So there's been a really close working relationship between those of us in Extension and those folks at NCBA who are also working in hemp. Um, so that's, that's one piece. And then another piece is um, Dr. Tom Melton, who's the chair of the North Carolina Industrial Hemp Commission, uh, was in a leadership role or an administrative role at NC State in Extension, but also on the Hemp Commission. Um, so that's another bridge between those two entities. And then in my work, um, again, personally, I also try to work closely with NCDA. We have a very good working relationship, um, but our roles are very different. And I think sometimes that gets confusing for folks. Mm -hmm. So NCDA is a regulatory body. So they are the ones who issue licenses. They enforce all the laws. And then my role in extension is to, I guess I look at it as interpreting the laws for folks. So once I know what the law is, whether it's, a state law here in North Carolina or looking at what's happening at the federal level, being able to get that information out to folks and doing it in a way that hopefully is understandable. Hemp law, I will say, is also one of the most complicated areas of law that I've worked in, um, partly because a lot of things aren't clear. I think one of my least favorite things um, when I go out and I do public um, presentations or I'm giving information to folks is when they ask me a question and I say, I don't know. And that seems to come up a lot with hemp and it's not because I haven't done the research is because literally nobody at this point knows what the law is going to be. Um, but that is my role in extension is to um, put out work and answer questions for folks who do have questions about what's happening with hemp law. And then the other thing in terms of extension is I'm part of a team on campus. Um, so my role again is on the legal side, the regulatory side, and then their role um, is to answer questions about productions I'm sorry about production. So we have folks who have been doing research on campus for, they're going into their fourth year right now. So since the start of the program um, and they're doing research all across the state at different stations, at different research stations. So they can also start to look at what's happening with the different climates, um, different soil types. They're looking at variety trials, um, planting dates, other information like that. So we definitely have a, a very strong team who has been working on the production side and then I work on the legal side and then we um, cross over and work on some things together. Okay. Um, and you mentioned uh, that you often find yourself saying, well, I don't know. It, it, it seems almost some, uh, oftentimes that this industry is kind of a, an industry of the, the pioneer and what happens to that person, you know, whether they get shot being the first one to go through the door or whether yeah. they reap the rewards because they discover, you know, something that other folks have not been through yet. That, that's kind of the feeling that I get working in this. Very much. Yeah. Uh, that's, that that's accurate. Uh, <laughs> because if you're growing hemp in North Carolina right now, we haven't had any information for decades on what that looks like, right? A lot of our other crops, we have folks in extension and um, you know, in private industry who have been doing research for years continuously. 
right? And hemp just wasn't allowed um, to be grown in the U.S. until the 2014 Farm Bill passed. So in some ways, you know, we're all learning about this at the same time. So I would say if you're getting into hemp right now, you're not necessarily behind the curve, right? Everybody is figuring this out. Yeah, so let's start transitioning into that. I have so many questions about um, someone getting into hemp. Uh, But even before that, uh, the consensus amongst friends and, and folks in, in my network uh, of farmers and other processors is there's too much CBD in the market. There's too much, um, specifically CBD. I think there's a different conversation about uh, textiles and, and other uh, uses for hemp, but with CBD oil, the most popular version or, or extract out of, the, out of hemp, uh, what are you hearing or, or maybe data or, or insights that you have about that? It, it, do you get the sense that, yeah, there's too much or maybe no, that not, not, not yet? No, there's definitely too much. <laughs> I think part of what happened was um, when our program first started, I don't think people were anticipating how many farmers would get into um, production specifically for CBD. So again, right now in 2020, we're going into our fourth year of production here in North Carolina. The first year, I want to say we had between 80 and 100 licensees. That's a really rough number. Um, Right now, we're up to almost 1,500 licensees. So our program has grown really, really quickly. A lot of that opened up after the 2018 Farm Bill was passed in December. Um, So last year, we saw a huge growth in the terms of our licensees, our acres um, that were in production in hemp in North Carolina. And I would say of those 1,500, maybe, this is a rough guess, between 96, 98% were growing for CBD. So what I think started happening around October of last year, um, because that's when harvest occurs um, typically, is that's when people are realizing, oh, we have, we're gonna have an issue, right? So we had a lot of overproduction, as you said, and then prices started to drop. And at the same time as that was happening, we got the USDA's interim final rule that came out October 31st of 2019. So I think those two things together started to change the tone of the industry a little bit here when people were realizing that we do have a lot of overproduction and now we also have this legal issue um, with some of the information that came out in that USDA rule. But I think that overproduction of um, CBD definitely became clear fall of last year and prices started to drop And so one of the issues is if you have that biomass, can you store it in a way that, um, you know, it'll still be as potent or it'll still be as effective months down the road or a year down the road, right? So if you have a glut in the market now, what do you do with all of that material? And and I don't know the answer to that. I'm sure there are some very um, creative uh, people who are working on that right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I speak with a farmer every day, every other day, uh, someone saying, hey, I still have a biomass from last season and I don't want to risk mold or whatever kinds of issues uh, that might happen from having, the, having the, the material drying. And so they're converting it into crude uh, just so that they can have a longer shelf life because uh, uh, I couldn't imagine having all of that sitting in the barn or whatever kind of storage facility for months on end. Right, right. It's a, it's a problem. Um, so I think going into this year and, and something that we've been, at least through extension, we've been saying all along, I know um, the Hemp Commission has been saying this also, and again, they're the ones who approve applications, is make sure you have a contract. And I would say make sure it's a written contract and make sure you have that in place before you plant. Right, so, so I've heard of some people who will plant 30 acres or 60 acres and they don't necessarily have a buyer lined up. <clears throat> and I would say that that's definitely problematic because if you don't have a buyer lined up in advance, there's, you're really taking a risk come October that you're gonna be able to find somebody to purchase that material. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely work with an attorney and have a contract in place ahead of time. And the other, the other advice is don't plant more and don't put more into um, planting than you can afford to lose right now. Because right now I would say, you know, I said it's very exciting and that's true, but the other side of that, it is it is still a risky um, industry to get into, right? Especially if you're gonna, um, if you're farming it, 
I don't have the numbers right now and things have changed so much in the last year, um, but I would say last year, about this time, um, we were looking at, I think the numbers were about 15 to $20,000 um, an acre that farmers would need to put up front in order to grow CBD. And again, those numbers have changed drastically since then. Um, but that's a lot of money. So if you're gonna put 60 acres in, or you're gonna put 30 acres, or even if you're gonna put six acres in, make sure you know who's gonna buy it in advance. Yeah, I mean, those, those are great suggestions. And it's not even just the money, but the, the time invested that you put in for weeks on end. And uh, with a lot of my friends, it's been uh, like a family affair. You know, they'll bring in mom and dad and cousin and brother, and everybody's working the field for weeks. Um, and then especially because there's so many folks that they're learning on the job. So while you might say, hey, I'm going to put, put an acre down, doesn't mean that you're going to reap a whole acre, right? There's some people that unfortunately lost a lot and, and you know, they might only get part of it. So yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen um, if there are folks that are calculating the, the cost and then the current that are using data to, to calculate the cost and then what they could potentially be getting. Not to mention what you said, that make sure that you have a buyer. And I think the, the folks that have planted, I think they're a little bit smarter about that, but new folks coming in, they're just still thinking about the opportunity and saying, mm -hmm. oh, well, well I, I just talked to someone the other day, he was going to plant two, two acre. And um, I was trying to ask him just sort of um, suggesting by asking like, oh, well, who are your buyers? And he, he didn't have a buyer. He just thought that it was a cool opportunity. He, he was an advocate, he believed in it. And I'm like, all right, like, I mean, that's, that's cool. Like, you know, I, I hope it works. I would just encourage you to find someone that can give you, you know, at least a handshake, but better, you know, have a contract in place to, to make that go through. Right. And when you say that there are folks who are new who are getting into this connect, I just want to break that out into two categories, yeah. if that's okay. So I think there is that category, because like I said, this is a new industry. We all are aware of that. So there are people who have been farming and they have a history of farming and they know how to farm, Yes. but they are just getting into hemp as a new crop. Well, I would say that's category A. And then category B are folks who don't necessarily have a farming background, but are getting into hemp or want to get into hemp. And so we've seen a lot of people in, in both of those groups getting into hemp. Um, I get calls and emails, um, not infrequently, saying very similar to what you just said. I've taken CBD. It really helped me. I want to get into this. What do I need to do? And my first question is, well, you have to you have to have a little more information than that. What do you want to get into? Um, and I think sometimes people haven't necessarily thought that through um, and aren't sure where to start. Um, we do have resources available, but yeah, certainly, um, you know, you want to know if you're going to be growing for CBD or growing for fiber. And sometimes folks can't answer that question. Mm -hmm. So I would say those are folks in group B who, don't necessarily have a farming background, but are very excited by the prospects of getting into him. Yeah, which is great, right? I mean, that, that's fantastic. I still think that there's opportunity for, for folks, uh, but it, it, like in any business, I think that there's more planning that you have to put into place before saying, okay, I'm gonna put the first seed down, um, especially with, with all the overabundance of CBD at, uh, at the moment. Um, do you, from your perspective, do you still see a certain type of company that's doing business with farmers that's reaching out and saying, yes, I, I want to plan for you to, to harvest an acre or six or whatnot? Or is it kind of all over the place as far as who's purchasing hemp or biomass? Um, I think we've had some processors. There's some established processors who have been around for a few years. Um, we have some new processors also who are coming online. Um, so if I understand your question, I think we have some, some good processors here in North Carolina who are, um, who are buying. And then I've also seen a decent number of folks, and I don't have an exact number, who seem to um, want to be vertically integrated. Mm -hmm. So they will grow their own hemp and then process it. And then they're also, um, you know, bottling it, labeling it, and selling it um, at retail. Okay. So I've kind of seen folks go both ways with that. Sure. Okay. So then uh, you touched a little bit about uh, USDA regs. Can we talk about that? Can you, can you help educate someone that uh, knows that there's a pilot program now and that means something? I don't know exactly what that means, but then now we might be transferring over to USDA. Like, What, what is all of that? And what, what does that mean to a farmer or somebody who's thinking about getting into it? 
Yeah, this is one of the things I don't know. This is one of the things that <laughs> All right, next topic. <laughs> Let's skip that completely. Um, no, I think this is this is a really important point, and I think a lot of people have covered what's what are some of the potential issues with the USDA role, and I'm sure you've talked to folks about that already. Um, but one of the things that I want to highlight for people who, especially people who are just getting into this right now, or even people who already have a license um, under the pilot pro program. So the, and it's a little, it's a little confusing. So ask me questions as I go through and yeah. you know, if I'm not explaining this clearly. Um, because part of the issue is we are dealing with some remnants of the 2014 Farm Bill, right? That allowed the pilot programs to be set up in states. And then partly we're dealing with provisions of the 2018 Farm Bill. Those are both at the federal level. And then we also have our state law. So North Carolina is in this really, I'll just call it an interesting juncture where we're transitioning between those two federal pieces of legislation and the rules under the 2014, 2018 Farm Bill. But we're also having an issue here in North Carolina with our state law. So part of what's happening is um, the USDA, like I said before, came out with their interim final rule in October of um, 2019. So that came out on October 31st. And in that rule, it said specifically, states can maintain their pilot programs for up to one year, right? So we now have until I believe October 30th of 2020 to make a decision about how we wanna proceed as a state. Um, but what we know for sure, mostly for sure, right now um, is our pilot program is going to expire on October 31st of this year. So like I said, we have 1,500 licensees. So if they all have a license um, or licenses that were granted under the pilot program, when that pilot program expires, all of those licenses also expire, right? So for me, that is, that's coming up as a critical issue because we're going to have a timing issue because that's coming up fairly soon yeah the the pilot will expire in october yeah. um and what's the the second order consequence of that so what happens if it does expire and the state doesn't continue or, or do something to continue carrying it what happens right so the other part of that usda rule is that it also gave states um i would say essentially a choice so once the pilot programs expire, states can either um, go under the USDA's rule. And what that would mean, let's say that happens in North Carolina, is that instead of growers in North Carolina applying for a license from NCBA, they would apply um, for a license directly from USDA. And USDA would be regulating the program instead of NCBA. Mm -hmm. So that's one possibility. The other possibility is that states like North Carolina can submit a state plan to the USDA. Um, they have to get that approved. And then our state and our, you know, our State Department of Agriculture could continue to regulate hemp in North Carolina. The issue that we have right now here is um, NCBA can't submit a state plan to USDA without specific authority from the General Assembly. And they don't have that authority right now. So I don't. They don't have the, the General Assembly in North Carolina does not have the authority to allow for an extension or I guess for a plan. They have the General Assembly has the, um, the ability to give authority to NCBA uh. to um, submit a state plan to USDA. So that we had this issue last year, which you might remember about the 2019 Farm Act or SB 315. Mm -hmm. um, there was language in that bill that would have given NCBA authority to submit a state plan to USDA. But if you remember, that bill never passed. Mm -hmm. That was the one that included the, the hemp flower issue. The smokable hemp issue. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that never actually passed. It passed in the Senate, but it didn't pass in the House. It was never signed into law. So it never went into effect. So we're sort of in limbo here in North Carolina right now. So one thing that could potentially happen is, you know, um, the General Assembly could take up SB 315 or some other um, piece of legislation that's similar to that. They could still pass it. Um, and then they could give authority to NCDA. NCDA could submit our state plan to USDA. But again, we have this timing issue because it's already, where are we, the end of May? Yeah. Right? I need a little reminder sometimes. Yeah, I know. What day is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, so we're coming up actually June um, is starting shortly. And I was on a call yesterday and a representative of USDA was on that call. And she said very clearly that if states want to submit their state plan in time to get approved before the end of October, they need to submit their state plan by mid-August. Oh, wow. Right. So we have June, July, half of August. We have two and a half months um, now at this point for that to happen. I don't know what the General Assembly schedule looks like right now. I believe this was supposed to be a short session. Um, there has been a lot happening with the pandemic and with COVID legislation. So what their agenda was gonna be has obviously shifted somewhat. And again, I'm not gonna speak to that completely mm -hmm. because I don't know what they're looking at. Um, but my sense is the closer we get to October, obviously, the less likely, likely it is that we will get that in place in time. Yeah, that's pretty serious. So if um, let's say that North Carolina does not set this in motion, doesn't pass that 315 bill or whatever other version that would allow for that. So then farmers in North Carolina would have to apply with uh, federal USDA for their pilot, for their hemp license, so to speak. Um, so what what are the main differences? Like, would that be a big issue? And what would be the reasons why that would be an issue to you know farmer down here in North Carolina? So it, it will potentially be a big issue because um, first of all, we don't know still exactly what USDA's um, what it's going to look like to be regulated directly by USDA when. USDA passed their um, interim final rule in October, they didn't necessarily think that a lot of states were gonna go directly under their plan. They thought a lot of states were going to um, continue to operate under their own permanent plan, right? And that the states would be administering these programs. Um, so I think some farmers will look at what's happening with the USDA license and say, well, there's no fee for it. So maybe that's an advantage. I believe they're good for um, three years but we would still have this issue of it's still, your hemp still needs to be tested, right? So there's a law in place um, and under the USDA's rule would be that you have to have your field tested 15 days um, before harvest. I don't know how the USDA is going to manage that on the ground here in North Carolina. With drones, they're gonna send drones out to every field <laughs> and collect samples. <laughs> right, I mean, they're just, there are just a lot of logistics that I don't think we quite have in place yet. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, like I said, one piece is that there could be a fix for this that comes from our General Assembly. But the other thing that could potentially happen is Congress could pass a law that gives the USDA authority to actually um, increase the amount of time that the pilot programs can exist. So like extended. To extend our pilot programs. And I think right now... Um, I think it's December 31st of 2021. And the, where I'm getting that date from is um, there's a group called NASDA, the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture. Mm -hmm. And they actually passed a policy resolution at their meeting in February. And their policy resolution was, we would like Congress to take this action. We would like um, to have our pilot programs um, extended through December 31st. 2021. And what that would do is give farmers, I think, give farmers a lot of, um, not a lot because it's only another year, but give farmers a certain amount of certainty about what the law is going to be, at least until the end of December of 2021. But what's going to happen in that time period is hopefully we will go from the USDA's interim final rule to their final rule, right? So they came out with their interim final rule in October, um, and then they asked for public feedback. I think that closed at the end of January of this year. So their next step is to take all the feedback, all the public comment that they got and create their final rule. So if we were allowed to stand our pilot program until the final rule, then our farmers would go from our pilot program to hopefully our permanent program. Um, and we would know at that point that USDA has maybe worked out um, any issues that might come up anytime you start a new regulatory program. And so for me, I, I think that that might give our farmers more continuity instead of going from our pilot program to the USDA's program and under the interim final rule and then USDA's program under the final rule. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it sounds like there, there's still so much to be worked out. And for any business owner, any farmer, uh, 
to say, oh, okay, well, sure, we'll we'll wait till October and see kind of what happens. I mean, that, that's not that's not building a plan. And for so long, you know, you and, and your peers have always been telling folks, you know, make a plan, you know, have contracts and all these things, and then to all of a sudden be presented with this. I mean, really not opportunity, but just, you know, one option of saying, okay, well, if it runs out, we'll go with the SDA, USDA, but we don't exactly know what their full plan is. They're still kind of working it out, but that, that'd be really challenging. And most of the folks that I'm speaking with right now, I mean, they're already speaking with seed providers or just, you know, making plans for their fields. Like there, there's, you know, with farming, you don't just say, okay, well, tomorrow I'm going to plant three acres. I mean, there's a lot of planning that happens months before that. Right, exactly. And to me, that's been one of the big issues is, if we're talking about what's happening in October, if you're working in, I don't know, let's just say you're working in a desk job, right? Um, maybe you can plan that far out and that's not a big issue. And if something changes between now and then, that's okay. But for most businesses, that's not really okay. And, you know, I said before, um, hemp law is so different in a lot of ways from other areas of law. But in terms of a business, in some ways, it's just like any other business, right? You want to have a business plan in place. And farmers do the same thing. They have a farm plan in place. Um, so if we're talking about what's going to happen in October, for our farmers, that has already started, right? Because there, a lot of folks are planting in May. So they're not just waking up today and deciding to plant. Like you said, they've been planning this for months. If we're talking about getting a contract with a processor, those relationships, not all, but a lot of them have already been established for this year. Um, so it's left, I would say that this area of law um, has left uh, our farmers with a lot of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. So if, um, I know there are, in the farming community here, there are a lot of advocates and a lot of folks that are more than willing and happy to contact uh, the government and the representative. Uh, do you have any suggestions on whether it's who or a certain department to voice their opinions on what the, the state should do? Um, contact your representatives and the General Assembly. I, I know there's a website that you can go to. I don't know the website off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. No matter um, where you are in the state, you can contact your um, representative. Same thing for Congress. Um, contact them, let them know that this is an issue. Yeah, um, I think that's something we we all need to do because that, that would be pretty detrimental for, for the entire uh, hemp industry in the state. Um, so, uh I mean, you, think, you say it's detrimental, and I, and I want to make sure that I'm emphasizing this point so people are thinking about it and are aware that it's happening. Um, I do also think that we will work through it. We knew going into 2020 that this was going to be um, a transition year. I think we're finding that out in more ways than one, right, especially with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that we'll get through this. I can see the other side. I know there's another side. Uh, it might be a year or two or maybe three years away, but there is another side to this when things have leveled out and um, we do have more certainty in the law. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think just personally, I think that it would be good to have a comprehensive um, nationwide plan where you know every state has, um, just the, so looking at states that have uh, legal marijuana, they they have they're very different right uh one state will say well you need a medical card another state will say you need this uh different state will say you need to have this certain to meet these a certain level of compliance and uh, that makes it challenging for interstate commerce uh and you know with hemp you know we have many states that say okay sure you can sell cbd but then you have individual states like oh, i think south dakota has some issues with with hemp um and so for someone that wants to do business um beyond their state, that makes it kind of challenging. Uh, you know, banks, uh, even though credit unions, uh, their uh, institutions said, hey, go ahead and lend to, to cannabis businesses and hemp businesses, uh, there's still a lot of banks that are very uh, unwilling or just really uncomfortable with that. So I think the more that the government says like, hey, this is a legitimate business, I think that would benefit everyone uh, for compliance, for safety, for having uh, a good business in place that you can feel like you can, if you do good work and smart work that you can have for a long period of time. But I think without the full backing of the government, I think it's, it's challenging. Any entrepreneur that still will not scare a typical entrepreneur, uh, but I think it's still good to know that like, okay, I'm in a, in a good business that I can tell everybody about and talk to my bank about and, and my insurance guy, and I don't have to worry about what might happen because the government hasn't 
uh, it's still kind of putting me off in the corner. I think you, you brought up, I think, a couple of really good points in that first about having this regulated by the federal government, having the federal government say, yes, this is a legitimate crop, this is fine, this is legal. They actually have said that, right? So there's language specifically in the 2018 Farm Bill that said hemp should be treated like any other commodity, mm-hmm. um, which is great. I'm glad they came out and said that. But if you work in the industry at all, you know that that still is not completely true right on the ground. And like you said, um, there are a number of, I would say, farms and retail stores um, and other folks who definitely have issues with banking. Um, That's an area that we haven't gotten as much clarity on yet from the federal government as I think we should have. Um, And you're right, I think there are a number of banks who are still not necessarily comfortable working with um, any business that has the word hemp in their name, mm-hmm. right? So there was an issue, was it last fall, I think? Um, a lot of folks were using Square, mm-hmm. and there's a certain time last fall when Square kicked off. I don't know how many, I don't know the numbers exactly. Do you know? No, no, but I, I heard about that. There were quite a few folks that got knocked off their, right. their POS. Yeah. Exactly. And then they were allowed back on, but under um, a beta test, and they were told, well, the fees are going to be higher now. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually have some resources on our on the extension website um, because I knew that there were some issues. Um, again, even though it's supposed to be a commodity like any other ag commodity, in some ways it's not. So there's certain um, certain services that I think all businesses need. And I think we're having issues finding those for um, for the hemp industry. So there's a place on our website called Business Industry. Um, I'm sorry, called Business. So you can delete this part too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I've seen it on, on your website. I think it's uh, in a, I think it's awesome that you have that because I think you have uh, attorneys. Yeah, business yeah. resources. I think you have attorneys. What is it? Insurance companies and um, payment processors. Yes, which is awesome. I, I love that that you're doing that. Thank you. So, so we, again, it's a free um, free service. Anybody who wants to list who offers one of those services um, can contact us. I will post that for them. The only requirement is that you will, in fact, work with the industry here in North Carolina. So if you contact me and you say, we only work with folks in California, we're not going to list you. Yeah. Um, but one thing I just want to be clear about is that we, in extension, are not vetting those businesses. We're not vetting those services. Um, or any of the folks who are listed and we're not endorsing them. We're just mm-hmm. providing it as a resource. So allowing the company to, to list their information on there. And you have a lot of resources on your website. Uh, so then you have another one. Is uh, is it just NC Connections, I think, is the is yeah. it the, the website where a farmer can say, hey, I'm selling this or I'm looking for this. Uh, is that the name of that website, that page? So it's all, what we call an extension is our hemp portal, but basically it's our website. Mm-hmm. So NC State um, Hemp Extension. So our website um, on the left-hand side, you'll see a number of different um, pages. And yes, Hemp Connections is one of those pages. And um, Janine Davis is one of our specialists. She lives in the mountains, so she's in the, um, the western part of the state. She must sift through a thousand emails ask for folks asking her to post <laughs> messages on that page. You have no idea. So actually, I said that we work together as a team. Um, so there are three or four of us who um, answer the industrial hemp at ncsu.edu email address. Mm-hmm. And all of those ads come in through that address. So yes, I see all of them. And she's on top of it. She tries to post those on a regular basis. I mean, pretty much every day. Yeah. Um, so it's a good resource for somebody that wants to either connect with someone else or wants to purchase um, something related to, to hemp or, or somebody trying to uh, trying to sell some of their material or biomass. Right. And we've heard back from folks that they really appreciate it, that they have gotten um, sales and business opportunities from that. So it's not, I'd say it's not something that um, we do in extension necessarily in all areas, but we have decided to do it for hemp again, because it's such a new industry mm-hmm. um, and we do want to support what's happening. I think you guys, you're going to hang up on me. I think you guys should do some sort of a marketplace. <laughs> I think that would be so awesome that <laughs> you would have a vetted by the state marketplace where you can transact. And, you know, as a processor, I would be able to purchase uh, biomass from someone and then maybe someone else, uh, let's say a retailer, wants to purchase something from me as a processor. 
and uh, just your, the NC State logo is at the top. And you're already doing the vetting, you're doing the testing and all that kind of stuff. I think that would be awesome. Yeah, I'll pass it along to you. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be up tomorrow. <laughs> That's right. We'll, we'll work on that tonight for you. Yeah, I yeah. wonder if that would be, you know, I'm just trying to think if that would be appropriate for um, for NCDA. Sure. More on the, the marketing and getting into the actual sale of products. Because that, that isn't typically something that extension gets into. No, totally. And I, I understand. I know I'm, I'm kind of reaching a little bit. Uh, but I think in the sense that you, you're organization has been so supportive of farmers um, and just, you know, I think just the hemp community in general, even though you're not necessarily advocating for it, but you, you've been supporting it in a really meaningful way. And I think that's one big gap of uh, a solid and legitimate and trusted marketplace. Mm-hmm. That That's very hard. You know, you probably heard a lot of stories about, you know, text agreements or, you know, a handshake agreement going bad. And uh, there are a lot of companies that are trying to do this online marketplace sort of like an eBay-ish for, for hemp and cannabis. And uh, I don't know if I've heard great things about any of them. I've heard some good things about some of them, uh, but I think to be able to have something by the state that one, you'd be able to, to generate some revenue for the department that would be able to help you expand to different things. Uh, but then I think that somebody would be able to trust that, okay, well, the state has acknowledged that, you know, Susie Smith is uh, as a farmer and like, I can trust that. And that, you know, Jason is a processor and I, I trust that, you know, he's been vetted. I think that would lead, lend to a lot of trust and uh, maybe easing the, the transactions in the market. Um, I just, stupid idea, maybe. I don't know. I, <laughs> I would use it. <laughs> I, I don't know that um, I'm going to be able to make that sell through extension, though. But I do think you're right in that that's been one of the really big issues is making sure that you're working with somebody who is trusted. Because, yes, I have heard stories of, you know, even with a contractor, like you said, some kind of um, email exchange or text exchange, people thought they had a deal and then it just didn't work out. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think as an industry, we definitely have a lot more work to do in terms of building up kind of those reputable companies and making sure that they can connect with one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I, if I could maybe um, push this off to somebody else, maybe that's a role for um, the North Carolina Industrial Hemp Association. Mm. Okay. All you, right. can Blake, you can talk to Blake Butler about that. Uh, Blake is not busy, so he can just get on it. He'll get that website up tomorrow. But, um, but I do think you're right that um, there is a piece for us missing here in North Carolina about um, the sales and making sure that you're working with reputable, reputable businesses. Yeah. I'll talk to Blake. I mean, that's, I think he's in a good place. He's trusted and, you know, he knows, he knows a lot of people, a lot of people know him and uh, it's just that the whole trust thing. I think that's the big thing that right. um, we're, we're, we're missing. Um one of many, but anyway, so um, let's see, so many questions for you, but I'm trying to make sure that we wrap up before you have to go. Um, with agreements, you, you uh, I believe this was your article that you wrote about understanding and evaluating contracts, or was this a team effort? Um, this is a, a team effort, so I wrote it in conjunction with Angela Post. Um, and Angela has been one of the people who's been doing research on the production side since the beginning of the program. Um, just this year, well, the end of last year, she's actually transitioning out of hemp and back into her regular full-time job of um, small grains extension. Okay. So she had a full-time job, and then she took this on in addition to her full-time job. And also Robert Elliott, um, who works with veterans and veterans who want to transition into farming. Mm, okay, cool. So uh, super helpful. So understanding and evaluating contracts, and you mentioned this a couple of times here in the conversation, uh, so important for folks to have some sort of a written document, and this is what you're, you're trying to help folks do. So can you give uh, a bit of a summary of what you're trying to get across to people and why these contracts are so important? Maybe even tell a couple of scary stories if you want. <laughs> Tell scary stories. We'll tell. We'll be here all day. <laughs> so, I mean, the scariest stories I think are people who invested twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars, and then didn't have a place to sell it, or thought they had an agreement with somebody, and then that buyer just walked away for whatever reason, and then the um, farmers left with no recourse and no place to sell their product. I think that would be 
kind of like the worst case scenario, right? Which has um, happened plenty of times. It has happened, yeah. And unfortunately, will probably continue to happen. But if we can reduce the amount of times that that happens, I would be very happy. Um, I would say get a written contract, read the contract, and have a lawyer review the contract. So, for example, there, there's some... Um, there's some provisions that will end up in contracts that are pretty standard and you know there are no issues with them it's just standard boilerplate language and then there have been some really interesting things that have come up with hemp contracts um, even in renting land i don't know if you've heard this at all uh, there's something something happening last again i think it was in the fall of last year i don't remember the exact numbers um, but i started getting a lot of calls and emails about folks who wanted to lease land for hemp production um, and that owners were raising the rates. I forget what it was. It was like, ten, I want to say five or eight or 10 times more hmm. than it would normally rent for. I can't, first of all, we don't get against her extension. We have our limitations. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily get into that kind of detail. We're not here to tell people how much they can charge to lease land, right? That's not our role. Right. But if we see something where it looks like in a particular county or a particular part of the state where prices are going up by that much, you know, we, it does get flagged. We do try to figure out what's happening. I don't know if there's any particular reason to raise a land um, lease rate that much just for this particular crop. Mm -hmm. um, have you heard about that at all? No, actually, I haven't heard that. I mean, I can see in the past couple of years how somebody might might sense that there's an opportunity and so, oh, well, I can charge a little bit more. But I, I don't know if that's that would be necessarily the case you know, this year when prices have dropped so much. Um, right. But um, but if if you were advising someone, I know that with, with in your capacity, you can only advise someone so so much. But if you were to say, here are the, the top three things that you should have in your agreement. You're a farmer. You're asking for advice. Here's what I should say. You need to have A, B, and C in your contract. What what kinds of what would be the most important? I would say definitely about payment and how payment is going to happen, what form it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. Um, you know, are you going to do any kind of tolling? Are you going to be paid in um, oil, right? Once it's processed, are you going to be paid in cash? Is it going to be a mix of both? I would say that's very important. Um, the quality, right? Are there any kinds of um, factors that the buyer is looking for? Right, what CBD percentage do you have to have? Is it a set amount? Is it a range? Making sure you have that information up front. Um, and then if there's any particular testing that they are gonna require, make sure that you know that up front too. So the way that our laws work here, well, most states, but um, definitely here in North Carolina, you do have to um, have your hemp tested before it's harvested, but the only thing that is being tested is a THC level. Right, so we're not testing, we, NCDA is not testing for um, molds, pesticide residues, anything like that. So if a buyer um, is looking for certain markers of quality and they're gonna be testing for that, make sure that you know that up front also. Um, I kind of, this might diverge away from what we've been talking about a little bit. Is that if you're yeah. okay with you? Yeah, yeah, please. Um, so that's actually one issue that I'm not sure if a lot of consumers understand that. So when we're talking about hemp law and we're talking about all the laws that are in place right now, most of that is on the production side, right? So you, we know that you need to have a license to grow hemp. We're talking about what's happening with the USDA and our General Assembly. That all has to do with licensing and protocol around licensing. Once it leaves a farm, once it's harvested, and once it's in a um, consumer product or a retail product, right now we don't have a lot of regulations for those products, right? A lot of that is based on reputation of the companies who are selling the products. But I'm not sure that a lot of consumers understand that, right? So if you're taking CBD, if you're consuming it in any way, unless the company you're buying it from is testing for things like uh, mold, mildew, um, heavy metals, and again, pesticide residues, that's not required by law right now. Um, so I just want to make that point. 
Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. We, we have it, it our, in our lab in the front, we have a small retail store, uh, CBD retail store. It helps us just connect with consumers, understand what people like and don't like. And first of all, most people still don't know what CBD is. Like they just, they've just heard the term and, you know, their sister, her life was changed because she took CBD one day. And so they want to have the same experience. Uh, but that's, that's pretty much the extent of it. Uh, that they, some folks, many folks that we speak with still think that it's the same thing as marijuana, maybe just with not as much THC. Uh, there's, they have no idea about testing or what the, the place of heavy metals and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I mean, I, I think that'll take a while for folks to understand that. But then for our industry, just how do you make sure that that, that happens without so much government involvement? Uh, you know, like I'm not personally, uh, I'm, I'm not one for like, I want the government to take over my life. Uh, but there's a good balance of having somebody saying, hey, you should have these, whatever it is, like these tests or this level of compliance uh, for the safety of consumers. Because I think that most of the people that I meet in the industry are good people and they want to do right and have a good product and safe because they give it to their families. Um, but like in any industry with certain opportunities, you're going to have the shucksters and people that are going to mess it up for everyone. So how do you make sure that their products that might have bad things, you know, don't get into like my child or my pet. Well, it's making sure that consumers are safe, but the other part of that is making sure that the reputation of the industry overall is maintained, yeah. right? Yeah. Because if one person gets really sick, that's not going to just blow back on the, on the company that sold that product. That's going to reflect poorly on the whole industry. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think that's, that's another piece that I'm about. Yeah, I, I keep seeing more of our clients uh, want to do full panel testing uh, at different stages just so that because they might be selling it to someone else. And so they, even though their buyer doesn't understand, they still want to show that, hey, my product is better than so and so because you can see that it's completely clean. And right. I think that's, that, that's great. And, and eventually that will transcend down into the consumer um, who will, you know, it's, will still take a few years to understand, but I think that that'll just be good for everybody, uh, which will continue to drive prices down because, you know, more cost. Uh, but ultimately it'll, it could land someone in a good position of saying, Hey, this is a trusted company who tests and, you know, they have a good product. Okay. Well, I would agree with that. So if, um, if you're going to buy a product, especially if it's something that you're ingesting or putting on your skin, you know, if you're, um, the company's willing to give you the COA, that's typically a good sign. Yeah. But, you know, like getting into this industry, it's, it's, it blows my mind every day. But now I question anytime I go buy something, I just want, I just look at it and just wonder, like, what does this have in it that I don't know about? Um, you know, like food colorings, um, you know, pesticides and all these kinds of things that I, I just never would have thought of that is in our, our food and topicals and everything that, that we put in our bodies. Has it kept you from buying any products? Uh, has it kept me, uh, I think it's made me steer towards like the, the health food aisle more. Um, if there is a certain product that I need to buy that's, that's you know, bottled or manufactured in some way. Um, but it makes me, I, I think in a couple of cases it has. Well, it's interesting because we're talking about this. I'm starting to think about my background in, in food and food law and, um, you know, discussions I've had over the years about local food and the organic label. Mm-hmm. And even once you have something like an organic label, it, it has a very specific legal meaning, but that doesn't always translate over to what consumers understand about that product. Right. Organic, I think in the, for the consumer means like it's clear, like, you know, it's majestic, like it's holy and it's clean and it's, it's all good. But I think that there are a lot of these terms that might not exactly mean um, I, I don't know, it, it might not be as clear as we think as a consumer. That I would say that that's correct. I won't get too deep into the, yeah, yeah. Into the organic um, discussion, but yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, it sets a certain level, um, sets a certain floor, I'd say, for the standards, but I don't think it always means what consumer consumers think. And yeah. if you're buying local and you're buying organic, those are two different things, mm-hmm. right? Local is not regulated at all. Um, I can just decide as myself, I can start a business and I can start selling products from between here and let's say the middle of the country. And I could call that local. <laughs> That's not going to be regulated. Sure. Yeah. Um, again, it goes back to reputation. So it's the same thing for hemp. Um, 
you know, if you find a product that you like, if you find a company that you like, they have a good reputation. If you've had a conversation with them and they seem to be relatively transparent, again, if they're going to give you a COA, that to me is always a good sign. Um, you know, just make sure it's a product that you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, let's see. So are there, what are cool or interesting parts of the industry that you're seeing? So I know we talked about a lot of bad stuff and I, I'm, an, I'm an optimist, right? Like I believe in, in the industry. I believe in the people that are in it, uh, but just changing gears a little bit. Like, what are you seeing that you're like, oh, wow, that's, that's pretty neat or, or there's an opportunity here. Um, and however you want to answer that. I would say everything that's happening with fiber to me is very exciting. Okay. So sometime last fall, I'd say around October, most of the conversations that I was having with people um, were about fiber. And I can't tell you that there's a specific product that I'm interested in, but just the fact that you can make so many products um, from hemp fire. From hemp I just fiber. saw somebody making uh, masks out of hemp. You said you have seen that? I, I saw a company, I, I forget the name, but apparently there's a uh, processor making uh, hemp masks. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Is that here in North Carolina or somewhere else? Um, I can't remember. I'll have to pull it up on my email. Okay. Yeah, I'd be curious to see that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, everything from um, like linens, like bed linens, to furniture, to flooring, to car parts. I mean, I'm sure people have talked about hempcrete before and paper. Um, you know, that's in addition to clothing, right? So there are just so many uses and there are it's, it's so interesting to me to see what people come up with. Um, I would not consider myself to be the most creative person in the world. Like that's not my strong suit, but I love to see the things that other people are creating. That to me is very exciting. Yeah. What do you think that needs to happen in that part of the industry to take off? Because people have been talking about hemp materials and, and fiber for a while, but I, I still have not seen um, the, the, the interest or just it, the, it seems like there's there's something missing that will grease the industry to go quickly and, and make progress. Yeah, I think we're still missing parts of the supply chain. Um, so farmers, folks who I've talked to don't necessarily want to plant for fiber. Again, it's that issue of making sure that you have a buyer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are, and I might be, um, I hope I'm not remembering this incorrectly. I think there are two or three processors in North Carolina. So we don't have the capacity to process a lot of fiber right now. Um, but I think it's sort of a chicken and egg because a lot of processors don't want to um, spend hundreds of thousands of dollars or more building a processing facility if they don't have the raw material. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's definitely a part of the industry that could be developed. Okay. So if I understand it correctly, and I don't know that part of the industry very well, but apparently that the equipment is really expensive and you need a lot of input to be able to process it into whatever the next phase of the material is. Um, is there, um, I forget who I was speaking with. I think Blake actually mentioned that uh, he sees a lot of opportunities if the state can continue to do some additional research into processing for fiber or equipment. Um, is that, do you agree with that? Is there something that the state university system can help with or is that not necessarily the the stumbling block that you see? So I think in terms of fiber, um, our role, you know, from the research side would be, and this has been going on for a couple of years now already, um, again, doing that same kind of like variety trials and planting different parts of the state um, to see what's going to work here in North Carolina. And again, our researchers have been doing that for a couple of years already. Um, but I think we probably need more work in that, in that arena. Okay. Um, if um, I hope I can ask you this. Tell me if, if you can't answer this. Okay. If you had a million dollars and you yes. had to invest in a company in the hemp industry or cannabis or you know, whichever one of those, um, what you don't have to name a specific company, but what kind of company would you put your money into? I have never thought about that. Nobody's ever offered me a million dollars. Mr. Investing Hemp. <laughs> That's what you get for coming on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I love this offer. This is fantastic. Um, Right now, probably, probably something in in what we're talking about in fiber Fiber. uh, to try to help bridge that gap. 
um, in the supply chain and just make sure, you know, if you can get one model up and running about what would work um, and then maybe replicate that across the state or, um, you know, we, we live in a fairly big state. Um, but yeah, I think I would probably invest it in fiber. Okay, cool. Um, and... <laughs> And can I just can I just do my legal disclaimer? That's yes, me. yes, I was I was waiting for that. Go ahead, please. <laughs> That's me answering as myself, not in my role as extension. Thank you. Yes, um, and then so over the next few months, we we have a lot of wait and sees. Um, what um, what's your best guess, or you can answer this however you want. Your best guess or your best hope for the industry over the next six, 12, 18 months. My hope really is that we could get our pilot program extended to the end of 2021 um, and that we could have more certainty for our farmers. I mean, farming is a hard industry. There's a lot of uncertainty in farming anyway. The weather never cooperates, right? You always have some kind of issue. Um, so I feel like at the very least, if we could get our laws stabilized, um, that would go a long way. So I would really like to see that. Okay. Um, so hopefully our government can get, get our act together. And understandably, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on that darn coronavirus just screwed up every industry <laughs> for everybody. Um, but, uh, so government, uh, you, you talked a lot about, uh, contracting, making sure that, that people have more than just a handshake agreement and have a good contract in place. Uh, talked about some opportunities that you're going to buy into tomorrow with a million dollars. Um, <laughs> that's right. I'm gonna start um, a lot more podcasts if that's <laughs> um, Is there anything else that you feel either really passionate about the industry that you want to share? Uh, something that makes you really angry that you think people should like start or stop? So just anything else that you want to leave people with? I'd say um, one of the things that I love seeing is the is the relationships between people and people working together. Um, and I don't know if I mentioned this, but I actually co-taught a class in the business and um, law of industrial hemp last year with Dr. Post. And we had about 25 people. And one of the best things that I saw come out of that were those business relationships. So folks were in class and they were learning some things from us and our guest lecturers. And we did some, um, some site visits. But what I really love to see more than anything else was the students talking to one another um, because we had a really good mix of people. We had some who were farming. We had a couple of folks from Extension. We had um, somebody who wanted to start a retail store who has since started the retail store. And seeing people work together um, and build relationships. And sometimes you're seeing people from different industries or different backgrounds who might not be working together otherwise. I, I love seeing that. Um, that part of it is very, very satisfying to me because I think yeah. hemp has brought together groups of people that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. Certainly a lot of varied folks that you would think like, wow, I would never have thought to see these very different types of folks in the yeah. same room together. Exactly. Um, cool. That's, well, that's definitely, I mean, that's one of my favorite things about the industry actually. Yeah. Awesome. So um, let's see. So I think that I have a lot more questions, but we'll, <clears throat> we'd, we'd be here all night. So uh, just to start wrapping up, um, if someone wants to get in touch with you or maybe with the university, like what, what kinds of links or contacts would you like to leave folks with? So I would um, definitely say look at the resources on our portal uh, and the address. I think I sent to you earlier today. Yeah, I'll post it in the, the notes. Okay. So definitely look at the resources that we have available there. Um, also, when you go to um, to our hemp portal, there's a um, page that says events. Mm -hmm. So we have more events in the fall and in the winter, in the off season. So there aren't as many events listed right now. But if you keep looking at that space, again, especially um, as we get into late summer, early fall, we'll start posting more events. So anytime there's an extension, um, specialist or agent who's putting on an event related to hemp will post it there, or if it's an um, event that's open to the public. Um, so if you're looking to get into, into the industry or you just want more information, keep an eye on what's happening there. Um, yeah, I think the website has a newsletter sign up as well, so you, you get those push notifications. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. Awesome. So I, I take it you're getting those. Yes. Yeah. They're very helpful. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, and again, that's a group effort. So there are a number of us who will post there. Um, so like you said, anytime one of us posts the next morning, you'll get an email. Um, so our hemp extension portal, again, we have that group email address. It's industrialhemp at ncsu.edu. So again, it's industrialhemp, it's all one word, at ncsu.edu. And there are three or four of us who will go through those emails. So if you have questions about um, production, or if you have questions about um, any of the legal issues we've talked about, one of us will, will be able to answer your question, or we will try to find somebody who can answer your question. And if folks want to contact me directly, it's M-A-C-O-I-T at ncsu.edu. Perfect. I will post those links in the show notes. Um, so, Marnie, uh, Dr. Coy, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, your insights. Uh, I had a wonderful conversation. I learned a lot. And I uh, hope maybe in the future we can come back through around two uh, or at least maybe meet face-to-face -face, uh, once this whole thing kind of dies down a little bit. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person. I'm looking forward to that check. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I got to go. I got to have a meeting. I have to go to. <laughs> awesome. I really, I really appreciate you having me on today. Thank you yeah. very much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey guys, and before you go, this is Jason from Spectrum Labs. Please be sure to visit us on the web at thespectrumlabs.com for any show notes and links discussed in the podcast. Also, remember to click the subscribe button wherever you may be listening from so you get notified when our next episode comes out. And tune in next show and have a fantastic day.